0: Welcome to the Successfully Unemployed Show, the place where ordinary people become extraordinary by finding the path to financial freedom through entrepreneurship, side hustles, and passive income. We have already blazed the path, showing you how to retire early and have financial independence so you will never work for someone else again. Successfully
1: Unemployed, your place for freedom. It is time for the Successfully Unemployed Show. My name is Dustin Heiner, and I'm here to help you learn how to quit that J-O-B, that just overbroke job, with every means possible. Now, in the show, we interview fantastic experts who show us how they, not just how they did it, but they will teach us every single step of the way to be successful and employed just like they are. They're going to give you all the tips, the tools, and everything that you need to be successfully unemployed, because there are so many ways to be successfully unemployed and no longer work for somebody else, in a job. And hit that subscribe button. Let's get in there. Let's start and learn today how to be successfully unemployed like our expert today. Let's do this. So I'm super excited to have Austin L Church, because there are a lot of churches in Austin, but this is Austin Church. Thank you very much for being here.
0: I am delighted to be here. Thank you for the invitation.
1: Man, Austin, so I'm really, really excited to hear about how you can be a freelancer or you can help other people, but not be like a W-2 employee. You know, you can work where you want, but let's, I want to jump right into how do you make money to provide for yourself and your family without working at J-O-B?
0: Sure. So I'll say by day, I am a brand strategist and marketing consultant. So I run my own agency. I have one employee, um, a whole bunch of freelancers and contractors that I pull in as needed, have amazing clients. And then meanwhile, I sell a variety of products, some physical, most of them digital. The most recent one and sort of the new flagship product is called
1: Freelance Cake. Freelance Cake. That sounds awesome. Is it like you could have your cake and eat it too? Is that why? I'm just sure. How'd you you get Freelance Cake? Yeah. You got it. I, I think
0: a lot of freelancers make the mistake of creating a new J-O-B for themselves. And so having your cake and eating it too, the idea is having your freedom and actually enjoying your freedom. Freedom is this currency that if you're self-employed, you really need to be spending.
1: I love that idea. I agree. And if you are working a J-O-B, working you have one job, you're working 40 plus, 50 plus hours there, you have one boss or multiple bosses, layers, but if you become a freelancer you then also have many different bosses because you know, they're the ones that are that are like giving you the 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 roles but at the same time you are not answering to like hey boss i need to go on a break or i need to go uh, take a day off from work to take care of my kids we answer to ourselves which which is great so from there tell us about your backstory like When you first had your first job and you were starting to grow into the next job and you thought maybe it might be a career, but eventually you went on your own. And talk to us about the whole process of working a job, but then eventually going on your own.
0: So I was the bird in the nest that got forcibly pushed out of the nest. I was working at a marketing agency. It was my first job out of grad school. Um, right out of grad school, I was sort of the last person to find out there were no jobs for poets. I mean, surprise. And, um, so I got a job as a copywriter at a marketing firm, actually fell in love with it and then got laid off six months later. So I know a lot of your listeners probably have to muster their courage and, you know, eventually take the plunge, quit the job. Um, My job got quit for me when my boss called me in in April 2009 and said, "Um, I'm laying you off along with half the firm. Uh, My first thought, and I kid you not, was at least I don't have to cut my hair. Uh, It was like getting kind of shaggy and the creative director didn't like it. Anyway, um, that started my journey into self-employment and freelancing probably a lot sooner than I would have started otherwise. Uh, like I said, that was April 2009, and then by November, I had landed my first big marketing retainer, which was $2,900 a month, and that was a lot of cheese for me at the time because my living expenses were uh, maybe over a th- just over $1,000 a month. And so uh, that first year, I ended up making 24% more than I would have made if I had kept my salary And I think I was hooked, you know, going back to wait. So you're telling me I can make more money and, you know, keep my hair long or wear sweatpants or, you know, more money and more freedom. Totally hooked. Flexibility of making my own schedule. I know you 100 percent understand the allure of that kind
1: of flexibility. So I was hooked. Since 2009, so this is 2020 now when we're recording this. So it's been over 11 years now, man. Good for you. That is fantastic. I've got the gray. <laughs> I got the gray to prove it's 11. Maybe that's why I have the hat on, right? <laughs> so that that is very, very terrific. And you un- absolutely understand and know that now your value is so much more than anybody could ever pay you. You know, you make so much more money because you do your, um, you have your own business. You're you're creating your own value in your business. Now, if we were to get started where we wanted to become a freelancer, let's say, because I'll absolutely tell you, I got laid off as well. I was like, I want to say it was like 2012, 13 ish. Um, I was working for the government and who gets laid off or fired from the government? I do. I mean, it's just, nobody cool, ever does, but I'm, right. It's like, yeah. job securities, supposedly. Exactly. And I got laid off and I realized, Oh my goodness, I was building my life in a wrong direction. I got to change. And so, yeah, long story short, I was, I found real estate, kept buying rental property after rental property became an investor and like, man, why am I working? This is, even though I'm making $75,000 a year, I, this is, I'm losing money working here. So, Going into now, you're getting laid off, but then really quickly getting into freelancer writing and becoming, you're almost making $3,000 a month. And like, talk to us, how do we get started doing something like that?
0: Sure. So, there's going to be a lot of editing, you know, because when I was in the middle of it, you know, a lot of it was just trial and error. Like, I never had a marketing class, I never had a business class, I was a poet. Like when you think about people who are not sort of set up well to uh, excel in business, I was one of them. I had a conflicted relationship with money, let alone business. Um, so there was just a lot of failing forward. I do like to tell people now, I mean, if, if I can figure it out, you can too. I was a poet. I knew more about iambic pentameter you know, than bookkeeping. Right. So um if, you know, looking back way back then, um, I think I had, uh, a couple of things going for me. One, I would call swagger. I really did not know any better. And so I think I took a lot more risks early on because, um, I didn't know any better. And then, um, the other thing that probably was on my side was a kind of desperation. I had, uh, speaking of bookkeeping, I was just not very good at managing money. I got laid off. And one of the reasons it was scary was because I had $486 in my bank account. And um, I have incredible parents, but I would have been very embarrassed to call them up and ask them for help. So I sort of freaked out in a good way and got to work just trying to find work wherever I could that ended up being a really good thing because I think I diversified a lot sooner than I would have. I totally believe in niching down eventually, but when I coach freelancers, I say in the beginning, say yes to everything. You don't even know what kind of work you like the most yet. So if you niche down too early, you may actually be passing up on work. You would find really satisfying and, um, I happen to think that if you really enjoy the work, um, the knowledge about that work is going to be a lot stickier. You're going to become a lot better a lot faster. So moving from all of that piecemeal copywriting work, a little bit of social media management earlier in the year to like a real deal marketing retainer later in the year, um, there were like a couple of catalytic events. One was I learned about SEO. I took a course. It was free. It was put out by a guy named Ed Dale. Some of you may have heard of him. And um, so he was offering this free 30-day challenge. I took the course because I literally had nothing to do with my time. It's not like I was fully booked, but uh, that taught me a really, really important lesson, which is, you know, your your time can give you leverage if you let it, and so you can use your time, you know, just sort of on entertainment or even traveling. I mean, there are a lot of different ways to use your time. Um, for whatever reason, that August, maybe it was the desperation. I chose to use my time to pick up a valuable marketable skill that ended up being a lot more valuable than the skill that I had brought that, that had got me into business. So that were, if there were one thing I were going to pass on about, uh, freelancing and consulting to someone who's sort of dipping their toes in the water, it would be um, try a bunch of different things, if you can, and sell a bunch of different things to the same client. If you can, if you can, you know, it's hard to get one client. So if you can increase the lifetime value of that client by proving yourself capable and responsible and then selling more to that one client, then do that. Um, because in my experience, a lot of clients will be really, really faithful and they'll keep giving you money because we're averse to change. And, you know, if you are the known quantity, then why shouldn't they give you the SEO work too, if they've already been giving you the writing work.
1: So, so is, is freelance, right? Is it just writing or is it freelance meaning anything else that you could serve? Like how do you, what do you classify freelance as?
0: So freelance is when you're sort of the hands and feet of your clients, and that can be writing, that can be blogging, uh, that can be design, that can be web development, photography, illustration. There are freelance strategists. uh, that could be social media management. There are so many different ways to freelance these days. Uh, You could even say that you could be a freelance architect or a freelance engineer. Really just uh, the meaning has evolved so that now it just means I'm self-employed or even if you're employed, I'll take, you know, projects with that revolve around my skill set on nights and weekends. I differentiate between freelancing and consulting. Uh, Consulting is more you're giving, making recommendations and then um, it's up to the client to move forward with those recommendations. So if you have a marketable skill set and you want to build a business around it that you own, you are a freelancer. That's great.
1: I, I agree. And being able to have the, the idea, which you talked about just a couple minutes ago, was just accept accept everything because you don't really necessarily know what you're like or even what you're really, really good at. And you never know what you um, might not think that you like. It could actually turn out to be really good, but then all same, at the same time, lucrative. But also what I've seen, a lot of people that do freelancing is they get started, but then they realize, not that they're necessarily the best at it, but they can scale a business and then hire other people that are really, really good at that so that they can fill in the, the gaps, you know, and all that sort of stuff. So getting started is absolutely right. Now, how do we, if, let's say we wanted to freelance and we're a video editor. We like editing videos and we just want to go out and edit videos. How do we find the clients? Like, how do we get the people that find the people that are going to pay us money? So that
0: is the question, right? Because when you hear about freelance first, the very next thing you hear about is feast or famine. And it ultimately comes down to pipeline. Like how, how do you get leads, right? There are a hundred different ways to get leads. Where I start with my coaching students is asking them a very simple question. Do all of your friends and family know that you are available for hire? Uh, I think we lack confidence when we first get started. We know we're going to make mistakes and we kind of don't want to make mistakes where the risks um, or the consequences seem higher. We'd rather go make our risks, like take our risks, make our mistakes on strangers. I think that's a mistake. So, when I'm talking to someone who's trying to get into freelancing, I say, Tell all the people who already know, like, and trust you that you are available for hire. Because they already know, like, and trust you, they are more likely to take a risk on you. Um, Ironically, my very first freelance client was my old boss at the agency they uh he laid me off on a friday he called me up on a monday and he was like hey um we can't actually finish all of the projects that you were working on what
1: is your freelance rate (laughs) did you did you say it's at least eight times what you were paying (laughs) so if
0: i had been smart i would have like really you know like twisted the screw right but um I kid you not, Dustin, I had to look up the word freelance. I didn't even know what it meant. Um, And I'm like, oh, there are these knights in like medieval England. Yeah. yeah. Oh, jousting. okay, I get it. Um, But anyway, I uh, felt very bold in quoting him three times what I had been making while a salaried employee because I'd done the math and I knew about how much he had been paying me per hour as a salaried employee. I also knew how much he had billing, been billing out my time for. So I came in right in the middle and he uh, did not blink. He said, okay, great. When you, can you start? And I'm like, you know, eight minutes from
1: now. <laughs> my name is what's, open, right? Yeah, what's great is as, a, as an employer, you are actually paying twice as much. Like if you want to think of anybody, if you're going to hire an employee, if you think, I'm gonna pay this person ten dollars an hour. You need to pencil in twenty dollars an hour, like double whatever you think you're gonna pay them. That's how much it's actually gonna cost for that employee. So when somebody says, Well, I'm not making enough, like they're not paying me enough, like they're paying a lot that you don't really realize that there it's so it there's a lot of room there, especially if you know how much, like you did, how much your boss is charging. That's a huge leverage. <laughs> you can and you're absolutely right you meet right in the middle or more than likely he's paying less because instead of doubling your price, you're anyways, I think you actually were in a really, really good spot. Plus it's your first time, you know, being able to, to jump into it. So talk to us about from there, you have that first client, which is your old boss, which is great. How do we then go to get the next client? But, but before you answer that, I absolutely want to make sure everybody, this, this point gets driven home. Every single person, you know, needs to know what you do and like If you're a freelancer, what you freelance on, like, I'm an investor, I invest in rental properties, I told everybody and the reason why I did was I got laid off. And after getting laid off, nobody knew that I was an investor. So no deals were coming in. No, nobody was like saying, Hey, can you can you can I lend you money to But as soon as I was laid off, I realized, man, no longer am I, I'm working that job. And that's my identity. My identity is in who I am. I'm an investor. And as soon as I started telling people, that's when deals started flowing. That's where people wanted to sell me their houses or let me borrow money. So you are absolutely right. You have to let everybody know. Now from there, how do we get that next client?
0: So can I say one thing about friends and family? And then, um, then I'd love to answer your question. You know, people will ask, okay, fine, how do I let them know? And every email service provider out there will let you export a list of every email to which you have sent an email, every address. And so one of the best things that you can do is basically come up with your contact list and then send those folks three emails. You give a general life update You tell them that you're going to be freelancing and or consulting now in the second email. And then in the third email, you tell them what you can do for them. And then you make some sort of offer. And, you know, that's one way to like start to put out your shingle and, you know, get on people's radar. Then if you're going to post about it on social media, don't post once, post 30 times assume that people will not remember that you're now available for hire as a freelancer until you have like made it impossible for them to forget. Right. So I think we feel like a broken record if we're like, Oh yeah. And here's another new thing I'm learning as a freelancer. And Hey, I just read this article about freelance writing and I pulled this tip and I'd love to share it, but you have to repeat yourself again and again, or people won't remember. But moving on other question. Um, So one of the very first things I did was raise my rates. And I know that sounds crazy because I think I told you I already felt very bold in charging 40 bucks an hour. But I had this incredible encounter with a guy named Andrew Gordon. He is still a friend of mine. I was two weeks into freelancing and I got a meeting with him because we had a mutual friend. She thought he might be able to give me some work. He gave me something so much more valuable. Um, I now call it the golden suitcase. He gave me the golden suitcase. I met him at his office. He's thumbing through my portfolio and he says, can I give you some advice? And, you know, I thought, oh, here we go. And I'm like, my knees are knocking because he then said, what are your rates? And I, again, thinking that I was being audacious and that I was about to be laughed out of the room said, uh, $40 an hour. My voice probably cracked. And he said, okay, you need to raise your rates effective immediately because you will not be taken seriously in larger markets like Charlotte, Atlanta, Nashville. Um, They're accustomed to paying more there. You are actually good, but you will not signal with your rates that you are good if you charge 40 bucks an hour. And like my mind went, because I thought I'm a new freelancer. I've got some skill. The best way for me to get new clients is to be a good deal, is to um, be cheap. Because if I know that my you know most recent employer was selling out my time at $85 an hour and I come in at $40 an hour, then they get twice as much work for the same price. That is not how people make decisions. You don't even get the conversation, right? You don't even get to discuss the project sometimes because the first question is, what do you charge? And that's sort of like uh, passing the bouncer at the door. And so raising my, I took his advice. I took Andrew's advice. I raised my prices from 40 bucks an hour to 75 bucks an hour. And that ended up being a very, very good move. Um, You know, you asked about, well, what did I do next to get more clients, um i raised my prices and then i told everybody i knew what i was doing and then i started going to local events for business people and entrepreneurs there are a bunch of other ways beyond sort of local networking groups and local meetups to get new clients that's just the way that worked for me um you know obviously you can do cold email outreach You can try the whole SEO thing. I think that's a much harder game. You may not see results for a year to two, but um, I basically started pounding the pavement. And um, if there's one thing I look back on that I was good at, it was conducting experiments. Try something for a while. See if you get new business out of it. If you don't, stop doing the thing that doesn't work And then try something new. I I do see freelancers and consultants, particularly if, like me, they weren't necessarily confident in their business acumen. I see people sticking with dead-end strategies and tactics too long. So, again, try something for three months, six months. If it doesn't work, then move on. I eventually stopped going to local marketing – sorry, local entrepreneurship events for a very specific reason – it would eat up half my day. So I did get a few initial clients out there. I started building my network. And once I got a little bit busier, I became a lot more protective of my time. And that I think is, maybe we can talk about that a little bit later, but I think that time mismanagement is one of the single biggest threats to a freelance business. But anyway.
1: Yeah, no, I I absolutely agree with that last point too. Um, I do want to quickly touch on the three things that you, or sorry, two things that you said we should do to get started. Send those three different emails. That's very actionable tips. Everybody literally should do that. That's a brilliant, I've never heard anybody say that, but that is great. And send them three emails. And then at the same time on social media, don't assume that everybody's actually going to get any posts that you actually post. They might not see it or even look at their phone for or, their, or Facebook for a week or whatever, and they won't even see it. So you need to constantly, so sending three emails, but then also 30 different uh, social media. But here's a here's the amazing thing. As much as you or I or anybody else feels like we're just saying the same thing over and over again, there are millions and millions of people have never heard it, even though it feels like we're saying the same things over and over again, which it very well could be. But it's the same message. And I love how you talked about you want to try. And if it doesn't work, pull it out of your, your business model and keep the stuff in there. I completely wholeheartedly agree with that. And so the things that haven't worked, I rip that stuff out. The things that do work, I keep it in. So I want to also touch on reselling your sawdust. What does that mean? Okay. So
0: you know how earlier I was talking about how when we're a little bit younger, we don't know our own capacity. So it's important to sample a bunch of different types of work. Um, if you had tapped me on the shoulder in my mid twenties and said, Hey dude, like you're going to be really good at process design and documentation. I would have been like, have you seen my, like my life is totally disorganized. Now I'm obsessed with process. And it happened gradually that, you know, I'm writing web content for a client and I would think, well, what is it that I just did? And I created a process just by finishing a project. Uh, There's all the work, but then there's the sawdust. And I realized through a couple of really pivotal events that that sawdust could be packaged up and sold. So if I'm a a web content writer and I follow a specific process and then I refine that process over one, two, three, four, five, ten projects, Well, by the time I get to the end of 10 projects, I've got a checklist. I've got a cheat sheet. I've got this tool that I use to check grammar, or I've got uh, this questionnaire that I use to ask clients questions, knowing that I need to pull information out of them for the about page. And I know, um, oh, I can use this tool to find good keywords and on and on and on. So you sort of stack up this secret sauce right now i'm mixing metaphors sawdust secret sauce but you you have these artifacts that you create just by doing the work those artifacts that sawdust has a lot of value to someone else who is uh, not quite as far down the road as you and um after 11 years i mean i have piles of sawdust every i forget about the piles Right now, when I, we, I do a lot of brand strategy now and I actually found this ideal um, customer profile uh, process that I forgot I had even already written down six months ago. That might be having three young children. But anyway, with Sawdust, the really cool thing is you, a client pays you to complete a project. You capture the process along the way. You crystallize it. You refine it right once you've got it and it's turnkey like you could hand it over to somebody else and they would have everything they need to run it you can sell it a thousand times you can sell it a million times so selling your sawdust gives you a scale in terms of you know leverage with you know just investing a little bit of time but being paid for that initial time investment again and again and again and again, and again. If you're talking about passive income streams, if you're talking about financial independence, a lot of it comes down to leverage. And as a freelancer and consultant, I realized, well, a lot of my leverage is just going to come from turning my process into a product and then selling it.
1: I I think that is brilliant because as you're doing it, you're all you need to do is literally just document it. And I use something called Loom. Loom is a Chrome plugin. It literally records your screen, records a, a video of you. And so as I'm doing something, I'm literally documenting as I do it so that anytime I, I want to put into a course or give it to friends, I'll give you an example. I have, so I've created many websites and I, I make money from these websites, but I have had so many of my friends, family members, pastors, missionaries that I've talked to about. And they're like, wow, how do you do that? I thought, you know what, what I'm going to do, I'm going to create a whole brand new brand, a whole brand new website. And I'm going to start from beginning. I registered the domain name, documented that. I I got the hosting and documented video at every single little step because I just want to give it away to my friends and say, hey, follow these steps. So you don't have to just give it away. You can actually sell that stuff too, because you're documenting as you go and you're building it out and it's it's a yeah, it's a great, great process. I, I do want to talk talk about because one thing you brought up a little bit ago was freelancers time, how that can be such something that just just gets sucked out of you so much. How do we guard our time as a freelancer?
0: So I think that time management is a seasonal thing. Um, I don't think there is any such thing as mastery of time management because in my experience, as soon as I master it in one season, oopsie, now we had our first kid. And guess what? There are more demands on my time than there were before. Um, so these days, the way I manage my time is with what I call blocks and breaks. So each day I try to have four 90-minute blocks, and those blocks are interspersed with shorter breaks. So it might be 15 minutes. It might be five minutes. I try to take a long lunch every day just to reset. You know, I really wish I could go back and sit the younger version of myself down and just explain that most problems in a freelance business or a consulting business um, come down to I don't have enough leads in my pipeline. Right. Like the free feast or famine phenomenon. Well, with marketing and with business development, if you put 20, 30 minutes into it every single day then over time, you can eliminate that problem. Oh, you you don't have a predictable prospecting process? Well, go read 100 blog posts, go read three books, put together a plan, run the plan for six months. It's like working out. It's like like following any workout plan rather than none is bound to produce better results. So it's like, okay, well, if If fixing your pipeline problem comes down to just following a plan and then, you know, executing, like achieving minimum viable progress on that plan every day, why don't more people do it? Well, it's because we don't manage our time well. So the mismanagement of time is actually the root cause of a lot of other business problems, right? Oh, you're not good with bookkeeping? Well, There are so many free resources out there. If you really need to get better at bookkeeping, then learn. Like you, we're all really, really good at learning, right? And so why don't we get better at things that are mission critical for creating passive income and for living successfully unemployed? Because we spend our time
1: doing. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
0: Other stuff that's less important. So first things first, that's why I'm like so adamant about Time management, both how I manage my time and then like when I coach freelancers and consultants, it really comes down to do you have a robust uh, framework or um, maybe rhythm is a better word. Do you have a good rhythm for time management? Because if you do and you become good at managing yourself and managing your time, you can a lot enough time to fix your other problems. And so, um, yeah, like I said, I don't mean to repeat myself, but for me, it comes down to four 90 minute blocks, short breaks in between. Realistically, I'm only going to be able to do about six hours of real work a day. Um, but I have found that that is sustainable. So, um, I don't know if I answered your question, Dustin. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. You did. Yeah. Cause guarding your time is something because I would much rather be hanging out with my wife and my kids. I would much rather be doing other things, but I am also the type of person that I could literally just continually working. I could continue working all day from right when I wake up to when I go to bed. I can continually work, especially if it's my own business, something I'm passionate about, something that I build and I get all the 100% value, of. I could absolutely do that. But I need to make sure that I guard my time to what is most important. Now, I wanna ask you about... Sites that would hopefully help freelancers, I don't know if they hurt or help, but sites like Upwork or Freelancer or Fiverr or something like that, what are your thoughts about even just do, working on those uh, to either to get started or in general?
0: So people who are getting started, I give them a very simple piece of advice: Go make one dollar. I think too often when we're first getting started, we start thinking about scale. Um, before we even know if we like it. So, you know, I had a friend who thinks that he wants to do a particular type of consulting. And I said, that sounds great. Do it once. And if you like it, then think about repeatable process. So whether you get your first dollar from friends or family, a total stranger, you know, a semi-shady Craigslist posting, Right like get a paying project under your belt. That's sort of milestone one. Milestone two usually goes back to how do I get consistent leads? How do I get consistent project work? Um, You know, if you're inclined to try Upwork, do. Just know that anytime you are getting project leads through a freelancer network or marketplace, you know, they're kind of like Amazon. They're going to take, 15 to 30% right off the top. And um, that comes directly out of your profit margin. So um, the last thing that I want to do is vilify you know, an Upwork.com. I think at this point, I've spent about $150,000 on the Upwork. I've connected with incredibly talented freelancers through Upwork. But if all those freelancers were super satisfied with trying to build their business with Upwork, you wouldn't see all these forum posts about how do I move away from Upwork? How do I get, you know, private clients? And so it seems like a great sort of stepping stone, you know, as you're cutting your teeth, as you're like figuring out this whole freelance game. Well, yeah, maybe you can get some leads there, but just understand that you have to be really, really strong in your positioning if you're wanting, like me at the very beginning, $40 an hour, if a business owner could go hire someone else and pay them $8 an hour on Upwork to do the same work, how am I going to persuade that uh, that business owner? No, I really am worth five times as much. I might be, right? I do believe that pricing is branding. Pricing is positioning. But Keep in mind that very price-conscious people are the people who use Upwork most often. My experience, the best clients, the clients you really want, are value-conscious. They're wanting to pay, in a, pay for a positive outcome. So whether it takes you 30 minutes or 30 hours is irrelevant. It's beside the point. So um, it's a good way to get started. Try it. You know, do a six month experiment, see if you can get some leads on there. But just know that probably as you mature, you're going to start looking to create your pipeline outside of Upwork, outside of a freelance marketplace. And honestly, I think that's wise because anytime your entire business model is bolted onto someone else's platform. There is inherent risk in that. It's sort of like if you only sell your products through Amazon, and Amazon freezes your account, or in a freak, freak accident, delete your account. Like uh, there's a friend who ha- was doing a hundred thousand dollars a month selling T-shirts on Facebook, and then Facebook suspended his page. Oops. So just know there's inherent risk in building your business on someone else's platform, but like anything else, think about it as an experiment, know what time horizon you're willing to work with. And then at the end of that, say, did it work? Did it not work? Do I want to keep going? Maybe it's time to move on.
1: Yeah, I I, I think that's Huge and that 's very, very crucial to realize that if you piggy, like if you piggyback off on or you solely are let's just say you're a YouTube person well, if YouTube just doesn 't like you and they get rid of you then that's done or mm-hmm. Facebook or there's so it, you need to have a way to get people to you finding you having your own platform mm-hmm. so I love that now, how do we then scale the business we, mm-hmm. we're starting to freelance we 're starting to make some decent money but we want to make more money so we can literally just live off of that business. How do we scale it? Do we hire employees? Do we need to get more? Like what, how do we scale the business? So,
0: you know, there are several different categories and I'll touch on them all briefly. You know, you're like, okay, if I shouldn't build my full business on someone else's platform, what should I do? My personal opinion is that you should build an email list Um, because an email list is an asset, that you can take with you from platform to platform, right? So let's say, you know, eventually you have a list of 200 people that have given you money at some point. Well, that's amazing because the best way to get more business repeat business is from the people who've already given you money, right? It's like the three R's repeat business referrals and new relationships, Um, I recommend when uh, freelancers and consultants think about a marketing plan that they sort of have two two buckets that they think about. First bucket is those three R's, repeat business, referrals, new relationships. Uh, Second bucket is what I would call measured experiments. Now, a measured experiment might be, like I have a client right now, they already know that the vast majority of their business in 2020, and thus the vast majority of the focus resources in their marketing plan is going to be with the three R's. So what's their experiment? Their experiment is Instagram. They're not putting a ton of pressure on Instagram to generate leads, but they're putting some money there and they're committed for 12 months to show up, you know, weekly, if not daily to proactively build their audience, their tactics for doing that. And they just want to see, Like they're, they know that they're going to get enough business to stay in business with these activities over here. So with freelancers and consultants who are like, okay, I've got a little bit of stability. Now I want to move into growth mode. I'm kind of like, well, have a weekly newsletter where you continue to create value. Keep in front of, stay top of mind with the people who've already given you money. They're the most likely to give you more money assuming you didn't totally screw up, right? Um, and then um, then have your experiments. Like one of my experiments last year was LinkedIn prospecting. Um, you know, there's a friend of mine, he showed me his process, his secret sauce. I got new clients out of it. It was super cool. But at the end, I had to decide, was the amount of money that came out of this end worth the amount of time and effort on this end? and uh, maybe i'll go back to it maybe i'll use tools to automate but i said that was great i made a little bit of money but i'm going to table that idea for now and i'm then i want to try a new experiment can split test those see if one works better than the other um so always be maintaining the three r's meanwhile always be running measured experiments time boxed experiments And then just see, like you'll get smarter and smarter over time. Does going to local entrepreneurship events create leads for my business? Yes or no? Well, it does, but they take so long that it's not worth it, right? Um, Finally, and this is maybe the most important thing, especially when you think about how does all this tie into passive and residual income. When it comes to leveling up your business, if you're doing services business, freelancing and consulting. Um, eventually you have to start saying no to low paying clients. And it's really, really hard to say no, if you're really, really desperate for the money. So a lot of it comes back to, and I'm sorry to be like resident dad here, but like personal finance, like milestone one is, do you have an emergency fund for your personal finances? Um, Milestone number two, do you have about 30 days worth of operating expenses? Uh, sorry, 90 days. Maybe the first one would be, yes, do 30 days, but then grow grow that to 90 days. You need personal cushion and you need business cushion because just the nature of freelancing and consulting is that um, – you know a lot of people aren't looking to spend a ton of money from the end of november to early january unless it's an e-commerce business and then it's like their busiest time of the year but there there is a seasonality to freelancing and if you don't have cash reserves to help you get through the lean times you're going to end up saying no sorry you're going to end up saying yes to the wrong clients. When really you should have said, no, I'm sorry, this is not a good fit. You should have saved your bandwidth, saved your margin. Then use that kind of like we were talking about with time management, go find an incredible client. You might be better off spending 50 hours finding a client that's going to be with you for the next three years, who's going to pay you 150 K over the next three years Rather than saying yes to the easy client because you really needed the money, so I mean, Dustin, I'm sure you've i mean, you've been there, right? Like you've probably people wanted you to buy a property, and you're like, mm, I just don't think I'm looking at the comps in the area the The numbers just aren't speaking to me. They're not singing to me. Um, but if you're desperate for a deal, then you would have said yes to the wrong deal. And that wrong deal doesn't ultimately build your portfolio in the right way. So I just think that money gives us patience. And so as you're hustling to build your freelance business, your consulting business, I would say live as lean as you possibly can because there's nothing that fuels your walk away power like money in the bank.
1: I agree with that, and every single point you said, I can wholeheartedly agree. I think that as you are um, living lean, you're able to make sure that you don't take on bad clients or you don't buy a property. So I I bought properties in the past where they weren't the best ones, but they were they were okay. So I bought it, but then that used up all my money. That when a good came by, I had to either scramble, yeah. I had to scramble to to get the money to buy it, or I had to pass on it because I wasted all my money. Same thing with time. If you already have all your time sucked up in one place that it's not the right one, but you don't, you know, the the next opportunity comes around and you haven't, you don't have the bandwidth, you don't have the time to do it. So yeah, you need to be very, very selective. But I, I completely agree also that having cash makes everything so much easier. You can be more patient. You can wait for the deals. You can wait for the right clients to come to you and be more patient. Which, in my opinion, the more patient that I get, the better my business comes becomes because as I utilize patience, I wait for the right deals, the right things that come in my plate. And as soon as that does, I jump on it because I have the time And I, So yeah, uh, man, Austin, you give us so many great things. Is there anything else we might've missed as we've been going through this entire process?
0: I think courage. I mean, even if you've come out of a place where money was scarce it's really hard to say no when someone's offering you money. But when I think about some of the, when I think about inflection points um, in my, over the last 11 years, it kind of comes down to two things. The calculated risks I took that ultimately paid off. And I love the sort of estimated value calculation where you're like, is does the upside more than cancel out a total loss? Like if I were to lose everything I invested is the potential upside still significantly better than that loss. And, um, so the, the calculated risks I have taken end up being these inflection points for me. And then the times I said, no. Um, and sometimes that no came down to having boundaries with a client that was, um, perhaps asking for too much. It was, Hey, um, our contract was for this. What you're asking for is outside of scope. I'd be happy to open a new invoice for you. If that contract is not in place, you know, then you get into like this, he said, she said arguing match about whether or not the client deserves that extra thing. So I have found it a whole lot easier to say no, very tactfully, if I have a rock solid master service agreement in place. You you were talking about websites earlier, Dustin. I don't know why anyone will pay fifteen hundred bucks for a website, or I mean fifteen thousand bucks for a website, and that's still pretty cheap in my world, right? Why they'll pay that much for a website, and they won't pay that much to have a really good contract attorney write a rock solid agreement for them that protects them when uh, we all have faulty memories, right? So um, I find it's really, it's a whole lot easier to stand up for yourself if you can make the contract the bad guy, right? But calculated risks in saying no strategically are probably, you know, when I think back, like what, What really brought breakthrough? And I'll say one final thing. Um, Complexity is the real enemy. Um, I I think as our world becomes increasingly complex, people who are figuring out uh, strategic simplicity, um, like simplicity, you know, they're winning. Like simplicity is a competitive advantage. Right, And so the more I've sort of refined my service offerings and made them simpler, I've refined my messaging and made it simpler. I've refined my brand strategy and made it simpler. It gets, you know, brands derive their power from simplicity and consistency, right? So if I were to like sit down with any given freelancer in your audience and, and they're like, tell me what to do. I'm like, always be trending towards simplicity. Over time. Hopefully that's, that's not great. woo-woo. But that's
1: no, it's that's fantastic. So, man, Austin, you give us so much great insights into this business model. I want to jump into the rapid fire round. Are you ready? Let's do it. Let's do it. Awesome. So, really easy questions. You should be able to knock these out of the park. So, first question: hopefully we have a little more time on our plates, not working 40 plus hours, 50 plus hours, working that J O B. What are you doing to give back, to serve, to make the world a better place or the people around you or your family? What are you doing to serve?
0: Two things come to mind immediately. One, it's what I call the ministry of presence. Um, I have three startups at home. Their names are Salem, Theo, and Ellis. And a lot of my long-term impact will come from uh, when they're in high school, I want them to like groan and roll their eyes and tell their friends, oh, my dad's always around, right? I want them to wish I would go away because I'm around so much. And so one way I have used the time that is freed up by self-employment and being able to make my own schedule is investing in the three startups I have at home. Um, The second thing that comes to mind is um, I give away a lot. I write all the time. I'm always blogging. I'm always reducing practice to process. I take that process. I've crystallized. I like to share as much of that around as possible, like freelance cake, this course I just launched, you know, I follow a very specific product creation process and I have all the steps and it really, speaking of simplicity, simplifies. So when I have tools and rubrics and cheat sheets and templates and worksheets and uh, guides and all that stuff, I love giving away most of that for free because there are so many people like Andrew Gordon, I mentioned, um, who were so generous with their expertise. And so taking the free time that I have, creating stuff, sawdust and being able to give most of that away for free and pay it forward is just such a joy.
1: That's great. I completely agree with that. I love I being able to help so many people. And when you see their lives change because of it, it's just, it's so rewarding. I mean, it's, it's yeah. good. So yeah. now, Austin, if you were to give anybody one piece of advice, to get, and you give us lots of advice, is there anything else, one piece of advice that you would give anybody to get started becoming down the path of successfully unemployed?
0: Boy, that's a good one. Um, it probably would be simplicity is your competitive advantage. Um, going, Pointing your energy in, in one direction. And um, whether that's writing or blogging, um, learning as much as you can about that. Diversify if you need to. But being known for this thing, establishing yourself as a a thought leader and a go to person for this thing, um, building a platform, creating content around this thing, simplifying around this thing. Um, Jay Bear, who's with Convince and Convert, I interviewed him once and he was like, be the blogger who writes about left-handed vampire horror movies. And then you can always gradually add, you know, move out from there. But I think there's a lot of wisdom in that, whether it's just in your local, local market or in the blogosphere or online to hang your hat on one thing. Um, doesn't mean you can't sell other things, but your brand is so focused. Focus your brand. I was all over the place just then. I'm sorry. No,
1: that's great. Focus your brand. That would be it. Got it. Yeah. So with me, with real estate, I love rental properties. I I don't like flipping. I don't like wholesale. I don't like tax lanes and low money downs and all that sort of stuff. I just literally like rental properties. And so- as I was trying to figure out what I should teach I was like, man, I don't want to do any of that other stuff. I don't want to teach somebody how to flip a property. I don't like doing it. You know, so I said, I'm just going to do rental properties. And now, because I've been doing it for five, six years, uh, podcasting about it, teaching it, and have courses and coaching, people know me as the rental property. Like, if you want to know about rental property, go to Dustin. He knows about rental property. So completely agree because now everybody knows me as that. And so they come to me because of that, which is great. So Right on. Now, if you were to go back and give your, let's say your 18 year old self, any piece of advice, could be business, could be life, what would it be?
0: Nobody's waiting for you to fail. I think we think that other people are scrutinizing our performance and they're not paying nearly as much attention as we think. So you have the freedom to make mistakes. And if you hurt someone, a client, apologize, take responsibility, make it right. This is really hard for me. Um, I don't know if you all on the show have gotten much into the Enneagram, but I am a one meaning a perfectionist and I do not like to make mistakes. And yet I have found with clients when I make a mistake, if I'm, if I say, I'm sorry, I will make this right. You know, I don't think I have ever lost a client from owning up to a mistake. I I might have lost a client when I wasn't quick enough to take responsibility. So no one is waiting for you to fail. So get out there and take the risks because that's how we as human beings learn. That's how our kids learn. Go take more risks. You'll learn faster. And you won't fail nearly as much as you think you'll fail.
1: Good. That I, the brilliant stuff. Now, second to last question. Mm-hmm. What is one tip or sorry, what tool? Maybe it could be an app. It could be a pen and paper, a journal, something like that, that we should use that you currently use in your life that would be helpful for us. So
0: full focus planner from Michael Hyatt. I was skeptical, um, but I won't go into the play by play. My family had The last six months have been insane, with everything from illness and death, and travel, and upheaval in business—like all the things. It's like we checked all the boxes, right? And when I think about why was I able to successfully launch Freelance Cake, why did uh, Balernum, which is my uh, branding studio, end up having a really great year? What was the anchor point? It was a printed planner. It's a physical book I carry everywhere. And it's like, no matter you're in the middle of the whirlwind, right? And where are you anchored? Where are you moored? And so I would be able to go back and say, well, a more sane version of Austin said, these are the three most important things to do today. So maybe I'll do those things. And again, keeping complexity at bay right? Like simplicity. I've, I said, these are the three things. What if I do those three things and nothing else? I think that's still a successful day. So that's the first thing, full focus planner. Then I love our project management software. It's called ClickUp. click um, up. So the two work really, really well. Um, I like having a physical planner so I can knock out the most important things before I even open my email. But then I like having a digital, task management system that we use for project management with clients but also use it for personal stuff. I mean it's just like it's not as helpful if you know you need to make updates to your website to have the 30 different have to keep on writing down the 30 different things you want to change over and over again. So having a digital place to store all of that, organize that and then, you know, in your physical planner you can make a note. Go look at this job board and click ClickUp, pick the ne- next thing on the list and add that to tomorrow's to-do list. So I love the interplay of physical and digital time management.
1: That's great. Yeah, those are brilliant. i never heard of ClickUp, so we'll definitely have to check that one out. All right. So last question, what is one nonfiction book that you would suggest, it could be business, life, whatever it might be, that we should read?
0: I feel like everyone has, is going to name this one, but Essentialism by Greg McCown.
1: I personally have never heard it. So great. Go ahead.
0: So I tend to have frenetic energy, like just, and maybe that's part of being multi-passionate as an entrepreneur, but um, Essentialism is all about asking yourself, how and where can I make my highest and best contribution? And then, what trade offs do I need to make in order to free myself up to make that highest and best contribution? And I read the book last year, and it was you've probably had this experience, Dustin, where you're reading a book and you stop and you think, well, this changes everything. Right. I was listening to the audiobook and I had to stop because I couldn't take notes effectively. I, so I went and ordered the hardback and just trashed it with notes and pen, right, ink everywhere. But the reason it was so impactful for me is because it helped me become really, really clear on I already know where I want to be 10 years from now. And I already know what minimum viable progress looks like every day. It's two or three of the same things every day, same activities. For me, it's writing. I need to start getting rid of clutter in my life so that I can make my highest and best contribution. And essentialism just has incredible questions to ask, incredible tactics for beginning to declutter your life. And, um, it just affected me, impacted me profoundly. And I want everyone to read it <laughs> and I uh, will eventually buy cases and cases of the book and just give it away. I need, I need to do that tomorrow. Just buy several cases.
1: Um, you need to put that in ClickUp so you can have it as a, as I, a to do it.
0: <laughs> the thing. I won't forget, right? Cause as soon as we close down here, I'm like, it's going in planner right here. It's going in, it's getting done.
1: Awesome. Austin, that was so fantastic. You gave us so much great wisdom, insights, and hopefully everybody is like thinking, man, I could do this. And you absolutely listening. Anybody listening can absolutely do this. But Austin, if somebody wants to reach out to you, if they want to find you, they want to know more about you, how can they do that? AustinLChurch.com,
0: FreelanceCake.com. I'm on Twitter. Um, I can throw up a page on my website, AustinLchurch.com forward slash uh, successfully unemployed. Um, I can give away free stuff.
1: That hey, I, I'm very frugal and free stuff is fantastic. So yes, that would be great.
0: Can I um I was actually listening to a few other episodes um, of your podcast. And one of the things that you have said in one way or another that I that has impacted me is frugality is freedom. So as soon as you said you're frugal, I'm like, yes, but frugality is freedom.
1: Absolutely. So we'll get those in the show notes for everybody listening. And man, Austin, I really, really appreciate it. I learned a ton here and hopefully everybody else. And I'm, I I would venture say, everybody else has also learned a ton. So thank you so much for giving your time and helping us to learn everything that you just shared about. So I appreciate it. It It's my joy. Thank you again for the invitation. It was really nice talking. Awesome. Awesome. You take care. You too. That is it for today's show. Now, I would so appreciate it if you hit that subscribe button. I want you to be a part of this. So subscribe so I can get you all this great content on how to be successfully unemployed. Now, I do want this show to be all about you. So in the comments, I would love to hear your comments of how this is a great way and how you're gonna apply this to quit your job or this is the horrible, the worst way to be successfully unemployed, whatever it might be. Leave it in the comments below so that that I can interact with you. I wanna see how I can help you to quit your J-O-B, that just over broke job. So if you got anything out of this, I would love it if you shared with one person, said, hey, there is a way to be successfully unemployed and quit that just over broke job, and here's a way to do it, so share it with one person. So you guys are fantastic. Thank you so much for being here with me on the Successfully Unemployed Show. We'll see you next time.